Hey, it's me, Jenny. Quick little disclaimer here that I botched the audio on this episode. I didn't feel that it was unlistenable and it was too good of a conversation to scrap, but it is a little bit weird in places. Please accept my humble apologies. And now on with the program. Hey, welcome back to Failing. I'm Jenny Fries. Uh, if you're new here, where have you been? <laughs> uh, this is the podcast where we talk about things that we think we're failing at or that we have failed at and ultimately learn that most other people feel that way too, imposter syndrome or just general insecurities. Today, we are going to get right into our episode with a minimal intro. I give to you the failing at divorce episode. So today's conversation is one that I've been looking forward to since I started this whole podcasting experiment. My guest today has been the single most important human in my life for 12 years. He won me over in the summer of 2011 with a well-written Match.com bio, which included witty one-liners such as, yes, I am tall and I can palm a basketball. It didn't hurt that he was kind, generous, sensitive, and the shoulders on his 6'6 frame made me wonder if he installed roofs as a side gig. In Whittier, California, he transitioned his love for building Legos into a passion for software and began coding at the age of 11 on a $99 Timex Sinclair 1000. Please leave it in the comments if you know what that is. And he hasn't stopped learning since. After high school, he headed to UCSD where his future basketball career was arguably thwarted by an 8 a.m. physics class. And he graduated with a degree in cognitive psychology. Right. Cognitive science. Oh my God. It's <laughs> all right. Nobody knows what that is either. Cognitive science. This is going to be amazing. Steve has worked for such companies as Blizzard and EA and is currently heading up his own project, which I pretend to understand. He taught me about peer reviews and double blind studies, and I taught him what all the drug references in Breaking Bad meant. In legal terms, he's my ex-husband. If I were updating my Facebook status, I would say it's complicated. And he is my present day partner and pug dad to our sweet Stuart. Guys, it's Steve Wilson. It's good to be here. How do you like the intro? It's kind of weird, huh? Uh, it's all, it's, it's very weird to hear people talk about, you know, yourself. Totally. So, totally. Yes. I see it even on other podcasts, like even celebrities get super embarrassed, you know, guys, if you've never seen Stuart, here he is. Yeah. Um, so Steve and I met on match.com in 2011, almost 12 years to the day. Actually, everything was great. We moved in together. We got Stuart in 2014, joined our lives the day after Christmas. Stuart is a whole different episode. Um, it's like a whole series. <laughs> okay. <laughs> That's true. It is true. <laughs> episode one parvo and so then we moved around a little bit san diego orange county and we ultimately found ourselves in bend oregon and we were together for a while before we got married for combination of reasons and then we did get married um in 2017 it's only me pretty sure honestly you guys any date before covid is real hard these days right um, i know what i know things that happened in 2020 that right yeah the other year it's all a blur. yeah yeah yeah. so we got married and then 
went on our honeymoon like four months later and it was like February. And I remember it was February because we went to Hawaii. And when we came back to like Game of Thrones level ice walls outside of our house, it was out of control. And somehow by my birthday, which is in early March, we were deteriorating a little bit. Our communication was breaking down and... I guess in retrospect, I would say we hastily got divorced, but I'm only using that word because in Oregon, there's no cooling down period. So if you tell Oregon you want to get divorced in like three weeks, they're like, have a nice life. Like it's very, very fast. In any event, that's what happened. I moved to California. COVID happened. We had some back and forth. And then during that period, we decided to try to be long distance. And that was kind of off and on. It was just complicated. It was hard. We didn't really know what we were doing. There was some therapy before we got divorced. There was some therapy after. Some worked, some didn't. And so then, what is it? So so it's July. So a couple months ago in one of our sessions, or maybe it was my individual therapy, I don't really remember, but it was brought to my attention that this long distance wasn't really going great because we weren't reaping the benefits of a couple who lives together. Right. So we don't wake up together. We don't all the things that you do that are nice and like little, cause as we all know, by this point in our lives, little things are the things that's the whole, that's the whole life is little things. So I'm up here. Here we are. I'm in Ben Stewart's in Ben. He's in Ben. And I got here six or eight weeks ago. And so we're just going to kind of talk about how it's going very casual, like, stigma around getting back together. Like, what did we learn? Why do we think it'll be different? Uh, Yeah. Do you think that's pretty accurate? Sounds pretty accurate. I mean, certain periods are a blur, but like part of it's because of COVID two or three years or it's all a blur. Like, right. And we were making seemingly crazier decisions when toilet paper was being raided from the supermarket. So (laughs) it was like, Oh my gosh. Maybe we shouldn't be apart. Like, maybe we shouldn't be alone now because we're all going to die pretty soon from whatever horrible disease. Yeah. I mean, as a self-admitted hypochondriac, kind of, mostly, I got pretty freaked out. I was like, I'm out of here, man. I mean, I lived in Orange County. Steve lived in Bend. As we all know and can probably comfortably say by now, COVID got a little political. And so the area that I was in, (laughs) definitely got to cut that out. This is a no Trump impressions podcast. Okay. It's the only one I can do anymore. Okay. Where's the bleach? Um, Yes. Right. So in the um, immediate neighborhood that I lived in, no one took COVID seriously. It was very frightening. And I, so yeah, so we did, I came up here a couple times Um, and then, and also, I mean, it's worth mentioning that my dad died after COVID in 2022, but I guess I say all that to preface and say a global pandemic rearranged everyone's thought processes, including ours. I think, yeah, I think a lot of the people, even if you didn't believe in it or take it seriously, it still was like the world changed, you know, giant impact on your life, whatever it is, masks or this or that, or your favorite restaurant closed, right? Like everything, everything changed everything. And I think a lot of us wanted to then like reevaluate what was important to ourselves in our lives. And I think that you and I probably did that. And then for you, right after 
COVID was maybe starting to ramp down and then your father passed and it's like another event that kind of makes you think about, well, what's really important. Right. It did. It's easy to look back at the relationship and go, what were our problems? I mean, and I think in our case, we never did anything to each other that was like something we couldn't forgive. You know, there was, it was just like we were not getting along at times, but it wasn't, there was never like a violation was, of trust. There was no violation of trust. There yeah. was no stepping so, out of the mirror. There was no, nothing like that. Yeah. And I think that was important probably to both of us. It's hard to live with somebody and get along with them, even if they're just your college roommate. When I got to college and they sit down with us as freshmen and they're like, we call it roommate ruin. And <laughs> at, before you get done with this first year, you're probably going to hate some of your roommates. And right. it's like, how do you, <laughs> and we're all like, what do you mean? That's stupid. And, and if, two months in, you're like, get out yeah, of my space. You know, it's really hard to live with people. Right. And, and then you, then you go, oh, well, I have these friends I've met. I like them better. And the next year you go to live with them. And then you guys start to hate each other as well. Or one of the things we've always talked about that was like, here's a good solution we should do is if we could like have a duplex. This is the dream. This the is the dream. dream is living in a duplex where like, you know, I'm, we're like next door neighbors, but then I can just have all my stuff wherever I want it. <laughs> and I can have all of my stuff wherever I want Her place will be it. so clean. And so beautiful. Yeah. And then, you know, if we entertain people, we'll, we'll do it at her house <laughs> and then I'll come over and it'd be great. <laughs> But yeah, you know, as an adult, it's like, like this is going to be an unpopular opinion, by the way. But go ahead. <laughs> no, as an adult, it's like I think we start to come into our own about what we like, and you yeah. know, we didn't know that when we were twenty-five and had a bunch of roommates. You were just more like annoyed with other people. But now it's like, well, it turns out I like getting up on Sunday morning early and doing this, and the other person doesn't like that, and then you start getting grumpy about those things, and. And then you sort of like, it's hard to then exist together, I think, for different reasons than before, because maybe you're thinking about some other like transgression. Yeah. Yeah. Your partner's maybe not along those lines or whatever. And it just, I don't know. It's hard. Yeah. I think one of the things that happened during our immediate breakdown, which even in the moment, because I just think about comedy all the time, I was like, this is going to be funny that we came home from our honeymoon and immediately decided to get divorced. Cause it was like, we got home on like February 11th and we decided on like then like that before that month was over, but it started to get to the point where, and I think this is relatable. I don't think this is just some to us problem. Like what's for dinner started to just become a nails on the chalkboard question. And I think that's still kind of normal, but both of us had very strong listening to respond tendencies, me for sure. So one sentence in, and I'm already not really listening to the rest because I'm like getting my rebuttal and my counterpoint lined up, right? And that isn't helpful if you're curious. Don't do that. But there was a lot of stuff like that. Like what's for dinner and the dog. And it started to become like these things that were probably solvable, we're just starting to feel insurmountable. To, like we just couldn't figure out a way to coexist together and answer these everyday questions that were coming up and on top of big decisions that were coming up, you know, how do you feel about the break? Like, let's say from like 2021 to now, right? Like more recent couple years, like was helpful or not helpful? Yeah. I mean, as far as a break, you know, it's weird because I think it's part of it's the COVID effect, but I don't remember the timelines that well. 
even when we weren't together, I think we both were still kind of together. Like, you know, we didn't date other people as sure. far as I've been led to believe. Sure. We did not date other people. <laughs> and that was part of it. I just, I think I was like, well, we kind of should be together. So we're just, it was almost like, I think what we should have done was when we got divorced, we should have said, Hey, let's, let's just take a break. Let's separate people, people separate instead of divorce. Yeah. And totally. sometimes people separate because they want to see other people and I don't think that's a constructive way personally, but I think that we wanted to separate. We just kind of want, needed to like a, you know, it's like a fighting, a boxing match. You need to go to your own corner. I could not put it better. Like a, just give me a year. You know, it was, if you ask me, I don't think that the relationship would work now in the way that it is without it, without what happened. I don't know. It's like, it took that, there was some zoom therapy that came into place. And I don't think that those things would have happened without me going to California and stuff like that. And I think that I don't want to say like absence makes the heart grow fun. It it wasn't really like that. It was kind of like, I can't really speak for you, but I needed just like a little bit of time to reflect on what I brought to the relationship that made it deteriorate. Like, Hey, what was my side of the street? Like, and I hadn't really ever been in that mindset before because I usually defaulted to, if you could just do these things, never ending number, everything would be great. Why can't you just do these things and, or be this way or say this thing or whatever. And that's like, why don't you just not be an addict of whatever it is you're not, right? It's always incredibly hard. Oh, why don't you just not smoke cigarettes, right? It's like, we are who we are to a certain degree. And it's sometimes we're, we have to more accept the other person for who they are rather oh, than oh, oh, you know. changing them. Yeah. Sure. Like, well, right. But if your thought process goes to like, why don't they just do this instead? That would be, you know, the thing that I don't, you know, why, why do they keep slamming the door? Okay. And it's like, at some point you have to like, you have to go in your head. Well, but that's who they are. They slam doors and they don't change their behavior. So then you got to decide as a person, it's more on me now. Well, I can, that's such a big deal. I can't handle it. Or I'm just going to let that one go. Right. And I think that's kind of a maturity thing for everybody. Like as you get more mature, maybe you can start to figure out there's things I can let go that, that used to be hard Deal breakers. Yeah. And I'm letting go of a lot of things. I think we're going to get to that in the discussion, like kind of how do we move forward? And I think that that was some of my issue was like, whatever little thing it is that annoys me, I've talked to to other guys and they always have the same thing. It's like, why is every light in the house on? Why can't (laughs) she turn the light off when she leaves the room? You know, (laughs) it's a mystery of the universe and I don't know the answer, (laughs) but I've learned that that's the way it is. It's like, why do we have neutron stars or black holes? And you just got to like <laughs> accept it. And <laughs> that, was a, that was a real jump there. Yeah, there you go. Sorry. That was a real jump. So let's talk about that. I mean, it, it is different this time a lot. Sure. It feels a lot different. We did see a couples therapist in 2016. It was not helpful. This is just a little bit of context, but we did see one. He taught us active listening. That was helpful. That was the most helpful thing we got from him. But I'm saying this to say, not all therapists are good therapists. And we still went back and found a new one a couple years later. Like we didn't just give up. It was hard. He was like, want to just like go on his like love retreat and like kept trying to sell us his book. And we were just like, you are so expensive. And we just want like some help. Like we don't want to go on your retreat. Yeah, it was Fantasy Island. (laughs) 
he's he well and it, i think it's important to say that was our fourth therapist that we've been to it was yeah yeah we went to three before that down in san diego i know the guy that was terrible at my first therapist's office yeah that okay, guy yeah. and then we saw the woman there right there yep she was who introduced us to gottman which was great so she sure. did some good stuff but then we moved to uh, orange county then in bend right. We saw a guy, right. like older guy, once. Right. That was a sales guy. Oh yeah, that guy. One we did one session with that guy. Oh, yeah, that guy. And then, yeah, I barely, I don't, couldn't tell you that guy's name. And then we did the sales guy. Okay. The active listening sales I guy. I remember those. That might be an important point, though. Like, you know, we we have it's tried. So hard to find. I don't want to say any of them are bad, but maybe they're not right for both of you. She probably was okay with some of the other ones, but I just was sort of like, there are various reasons I wasn't like buying what they were selling, so to speak. But the one that we have now, I very quickly realized, okay, I like her. I like however she's doing it. She seems great. And then Jenny liked her too a lot. And that was cool. I mean, that really made it. Yeah. I mean, I think that does highlight two things. Therapists have to be a good fit. It's already hard enough to find a therapist for one person and be a good fit, but to have them being a good, be a good fit for two people and one or two of the times like we moved. So it's just, it's hard. But yeah, I remember the one, one session guy that was horrible. We almost walked out halfway through. So going back to what was different this time is we did start a couples counselor and this isn't political. This is just the person who said it. So I'm just going to quote it. But in Michelle's, Michelle Obama's Becoming, in her book Becoming, she has this whole story about her marriage and how she decided that her and Barack needed to go to couples therapy to fix Barack. She details it and the whole thing. It's hilarious. She's talked about it on talk shows before. And the underlying theme is like, look, I have my stuff together. I've done my work. Like I'm good, but I need you to like bring him in and like fix him so that he will do the things that will then make everything happy. And I did that too. I've been in therapy for 900 years. I know a lot about therapy. I've done a lot of work. It's been really hard. It's been really rewarding. So when I came in, I don't want to say I was on like a high horse, but I definitely had a laundry list of things that like Steve should work on. And what ended up happening was it was like a mirror for some reason. I don't know. I just kept getting what I wasn't doing somehow reflected back at me. I don't know. It was like introspection or like having a third party in the room that I had to be accountable to. That was really hard, but I wanted to be really honest because I have done therapy before in like mid to medium honesty. And then recently I've just started doing it like a hundred percent embarrass yourself. Who cares? Honesty way more effective that way. And so I just started offering up some things that I had never offered up before. And that started an introspection of my own, which was, I'm not going to lie, painfully hard for me. Because remember, five minutes ago, I was like, I have, I've done so much, I've got, and then now all of a sudden I'm, I've got like four to six new personality, not defects, but like genetics, biology, these things are real. I've got some stuff, like I don't want to have the things that I have. I want that to go. So that was hard. That part of therapy was really hard, but without it, there's no way I couldn't, we wouldn't. Yeah, I, I think it's been really helpful for us. I, I mean, maybe not the earlier ones, but I think even with the earlier ones, 
at some point you have to be able to address your issues. Right. And that was kind of the problem Jenny and I had, I think through a lot of our years was we weren't good at like disagreeing and dealing with the conflict. And in the end, it's like, what do you do? Oh, well, we disagree and we have conflict. So let's split up. I mean, well, who do we don't disagree with and have conflict with in Everyone, life? I mean, sure. it's like at right. some point you got to like figure out how to get along. And mm-hmm. even if I think a lot of people do that, right? Like you might get along, but then what about 10 years later? Like who gets along forever? Cause people change. This is hard. So I think that they've helped us to kind of solve that problem. I always thought that was our biggest problem. And that was also why I think I was always hopeful for our future because I, my job is to solve problems typically. Right. And it's like, well, you know, what's wrong with us? And it's like, well, if we can just kind of get along a little better, if we can learn to communicate a little better, all the other stuff was pretty good. Nobody's violated anybody's trust. Nobody, you know, there hasn't been these huge letdowns and there was a lot of things that were good. So it's just like, man, if we can just do this, it would be a pretty amazing And so I always kind of looked at it that way. You know, even when we got divorced, I mean, we got divorced for basically the same reason. We just weren't getting along and people were getting angry and at least. Also for context. Yes. So Steve and I are polar opposite personalities. (laughs) Sure. Um, This could not be overstated. I'm an HSP. That stands for highly sensitive person. I'll put that in the show notes. It basically means I'm just more sensitive to input, sensory input, sounds, noises, lights, emotions, right? I pick up on other people's feelings. I usually take them on myself. I cry at commercials. Steve is also sensitive, but in a less expressive way to the point where his therapist said, it's kind of like Jenny's a 10 and you're a two and we need to get you to like a five and Jenny to a seven. And that's true. Right. And oh man, maybe I'll play it after, but I heard this really good podcast being well with Dr. Rick Hansen and his son, Forrest Hansen. It's really, really good. And the doctor was talking about, he used to be a couples counselor and he was talking about how he would see couples. And it was usually, I mean, this is gender biased, but it usually went this way in his office where the woman would say, my husband or boyfriend is like so shut down and cut off and he never expresses his feelings or his emotions. And he's just, he doesn't feel anything. And after this work or some therapist magic, it would come to light that the husband or partner was actually really sensitive and that all the things and all the like aggressive ish attempts to maybe feel your feelings, just feel them. Why can't you do it? Just Google it. Like whatever. We're making it worse. That makes it worse. Right. That makes it closed it more and more and more. Cause now you're like, you're really getting these sensitive feelings hurt, even though they're not being communicated. So. Sure. I was thinking about that conversation with the therapist, you know, I'm like, I don't want to be a five. You know, <laughs> I don't want to be like that. She's like, well, look, don't worry about it. You won't be like her. It's more about. Just it's lovely over here, by the way. You should be a five. Expressing it. And I'm like, oh, okay, I guess I could do that. I mean, I'm, and like, I was like, look, I have the thoughts and feelings. I just sort of don't let them out sometimes. It's, and it's not even like I'm trying to hide them. I just, to a certain degree, feelings are private in my mind, you know, like we're all angry in line, but we have to be pleasant to each other. 
okay you know like like a agree waiting in a you know disneyland ride or something it's like so it's just that kind of a pattern that i've had and and so that means like oh jenny looked beautiful today and the therapist was like did you tell her and i was like no why not i don't know didn't think about it and it was just like okay well maybe when you have some of these thoughts that are more pleasant to people maybe you just tell them maybe you share them Okay. And maybe if you have the unpleasant thoughts, you keep those to yourself, <laughs> which I think I've learned that, you know, but groundbreaking relationship right. advice coming at you right now. Right, But I mean, it's, it is, it's like a lot of times I'm like, Oh yeah, I have those thoughts. I just, I just don't tell anybody. We should talk about how we got started and our lives deteriorated like nobody's business. Sure. When we got together early on, we, we kind of had talked about having kids and, you know, I think we both were like, yeah, we don't, we don't want any kids. We were good with that, which that's a whole probably show. Oh, it's already a show. I did. I did do a podcast on child free. Yes. 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 Um, yeah, we were like, I mean, Steve's a little older than me. And so he was like, I will, if you want, like, that's fine. But by that time I was already 32 or something. And I had like sort of Anyway, I'm not going to get into all the reasons, but I had just determined it probably was probably not for me. Right. That was like, okay, we kind of had agreed on that and we were together for a while. And then Jenny kind of, I think a maternal instinct was still ah. there of some form. And I need was, something to take right, care of. I need something to take care of. I want a dog. And I didn't have a dog. I had had dogs in my, my prior life. Um, previous marriage. <laughs> say that. uh, That's fine. That's going to come up. I, I always liked dogs. I just didn't have one because I knew that they were a pain in the butt. Um, but she wanted a dog, and so I liked dogs. So I wasn't super against it. I was just kind of like, yeah, I don't know. But anyway, so I finally, she sent me an ad <laughs> in Craigslist. And so I Before decided. Before I knew better about supporting yeah, backyard well, breeders. We didn't really we didn't know. know. I didn't know. know. We didn't know where to go. For two people who researched everything under the sun, we made like a 20 minute decision on Stuart. So I won't get into the details of, the, of that story because I don't want to, but the bottom line is we bought this little dog. I kind of did it as a surprise though. So I, I came home and I think you weren't home. No, I was home. I was just getting ready to go out to oh, dinner. It was like the day after Christmas. Like it was the day after Christmas. Yeah. No, I was in the dining room and you walked in through the garage oh, and you were yeah. like, I just like hand over mouth crying. Yeah, I believe that you said, is it real? <laughs> Do you remember that? I don't remember anything. Is that real? He was so little, you guys. He was like this big. He was like this big. He basically fit in my hand. You know, he was four pounds. He fit in my hand. Anyway, and then he got Parvo. He had Parvo. We didn't know it. We figured it out a day or two later. I was my second dog in my life with Parvo. And that was really, it was just hard. And, you know, we had to very quickly make a decision about spending quite a bit of money to keep him around. And it doesn't take a lot of days to, to sort of grow that emotional bond with the little animal. So that was surprising. I'll say that. I remember yeah. being surprised at that. We were out to lunch. The dog was at the vet and Steve was kind of giving me the like reality about what Parva was and what it could mean. I'll put the source in the show notes if you don't know either. And so I was thinking to myself, well, what would happen if he died? And for some reason it was like, I mean, just, flooded with pain like the thought that and i had only known this dog for less than 48 hours so really weird how that happens yeah i think it's like that sense of responsibility like we took ownership of it he's our dog now like even though it's only a day or two it's like well 
but I'm responsible for his life now. Like, right. Yeah. So all of a sudden we had to make this life or death choice for this little dog. And I don't know. I always, that's a hard one. It was hard. So yeah, we did it. We, we chose and we took him to the vet and he had to stay like at oh. the vet on fluids for like I don't know, a week. Days. Yeah. yeah it was multiple thousands of dollars, <laughs> which whatever. And he survived it. And, and, but he's been a challenge and he is a pug if you didn't notice that. And it's like, I think we didn't fully understand that pugs come with health, health problems. A and, litany. You know, she's got health anxiety and it kind of transfers to the dog and that's makes it challenging. That's Cause true. you know, that's true. she has a dog health anxiety specifically for him and that causes a lot of trouble. So I, you know, when we were talking about like earlier, I said it's the thing about like conflict and not get, you know, Oh yeah. I think since that point in time, it's like 70% of our disagreements and conflict are related to him. If not more, like it's, it's a daily problem because he's got some issues that, that are hard for us both to deal with. And we both get frustrated and, She's giving me that look of disagreement. No, it's not disagreement. It's just that it's not that we disagree so much about Stuart. It's that, so to give you some idea, and I rarely talk about this because my friends have kids. I feel like there's a big stigma around, like, I hate saying I have a special needs dog. I 1000% have a special needs dog. No doubt about it. But I don't talk about this because it's a dog and whatever. Anyway, 20 15 minute increments is how we live our lives every day of our lives for the last nine years in November. Um, if I was alone with Stuart, then I lived in California with Stuart by myself. So then it was me. And I mean, Steve will always quote like the famous 2016, like game of Thrones went that we would try to watch. And it was like, it was just maddening. We'd get like 10, 15 minutes in. If you're wondering what his problem is, what he does, he has like what we believe because he's been checked out by everyone. He's not in pain. Probably some kind of neuro lasting damage from the severity of the parvo. It was very bad. He only weighed four pounds. He has a lot of behavioral anxiety that we aren't really able to, to do anything about. We just have to manage it every single day. He's been to all, he's been to neuros, he's everybody. been to allergies, everybody's got a, their own theory, which whatever he's been Well, to well so we've done pets. all the theories. Oh, it's this food. Get on this food. Yeah. Okay. Oh. Hey, do this. Wear the Thunder mm-hmm. shirt. Do the leash. Do the Caesar stuff. None of it. So he did go on Prozac and it helped him and it kind of calmed those symptoms down. So I think that for a long time, we thought he was like a dog in pain. And All the time. Google, like, he's just crying. Yeah, and- what does it mean? And, and we could snap him out of it like with a with a little cookie or something. And then he always fine. And so then, then we figured of, out not in pain. Yeah. It's almost yeah. like tantrums. Right. And it's, so it, it causes, imagine having a little screaming, whatever thing around you all the time. He just starts crying or just, you know, starts staring at you because he wants something. Well, and people do, my friends do, they're called children. But the thing about children is if your child is now nine, I mean, just going off my friends right. experiences here, they're typically not just, crying for 80% of the day anymore. They used to. Yeah, they can tell you what's wrong. Oh my god. I would... They have this language thing. Oh my god. Anyway, so so all that to say, I don't know if the issues were necessarily what to do about Stuart as much as as two people in that flooded and that high cortisol state as often as we were, 
we didn't have the tools to communicate about simple things that like what's for dinner could easily turn into a shit show, right? Because it's like, we're just on, we're both tens and neither of us have gotten anything done, whatever. Well, it's just- it, it, it did cause a lot of conflict though between us two, because I would disagree with her assessment of what's wrong with that. That's true. You know, oh, well, I think he's allergic to chicken. And I'm like, I don't think he's allergic to chicken. No, because I, you know, and it's like, but we're, we're both tens because we're just, we've been dealing with this pestering dog all day long and you can't let him out of your sight because he'll pee anywhere he feels like it. He's like not potty trainable or sort of potty trainable, but you know, so we're always, if you ever house sit or babysit my dog, I would just like to say he's very, he's great. Um, (laughs) So, but you know, there's just a lot of a, like he needs a lot of attention. And so we're both sort of at the end of our rope with him after a certain amount of time and nobody wants to today. Yeah, like today. I mean, we're how many years in? Nine? Nine in November. It's not like, I mean, I don't like comparing it to kids because, of course, people with kids are like, what are you talking about? Don't but do it. Don't do it. You know, he didn't grow up ever. Right. He's still an he's, infant. Yeah. He's yes. an infant who will probably be like this for another six years. And it's just like, oh, man. But I've had three dogs in life and they were all great and easy. And oh, my friend at work, they got his dog goes with them in the car all the time. They, you know, they go fishing and his dog goes and sits in the trunk. And I'm like, I don't even understand how that could happen. Yeah. My dog, if I put him in the car, he starts spinning. And My friends have two labs and it's just so enviable when we FaceTime. They're just, I'm like, what are your dogs doing? Nothing. They're laying here. And then I'll feed them and they'll lay here again for five more hours. And I'm like, wow, what is that like? People are walking their dog and they're just walking oh, and their yeah. dog's just walking next to them. And I'm like, wow, that would be amazing yeah. if you just walk next to me for like more than 10 seconds. Yeah. <laughs> He's just, he has to smell everything. He, he stops, whatever. He just, that it's, part's it's, mostly normal, but. Oh, not and, wow. and, yeah. I, to, I have dogs I jog with. Like, oh, of course. Okay, yeah, sure. Yeah. No, he's, he's built for comfort, not for speed, for sure. <laughs> I don't know why we're turning into this, uh, turning this into a pug one-on-one podcast, but I'll just say that I got involved in the pug Instagram community, which, if you aren't familiar, has millions of people in it. And so I learned a lot, and I learned that here's my takeaway: there are dogs, there are pugs. Yeah. It's not the same. Right. It's not the same. A lot of them have their own things that are anyway, but. All that to say, either of us could immediately start crying at a moment's notice of the thought of something happening to him. Right. It's obscene the way that we care for him. I mean, not to use another usually like human term, but it feels like my heart is like walking outside of my body. Like when I think things are wrong with him, I mean, I just, it's, it's impossible. I can't just keep him safe. He can't tell me what's wrong. It's just, it's very challenging. So, you know, the, that show, the crown that that's on like the show about the Royal family, oh, yeah, right? they have the, pugs. whatever it was, King, King Albert or somebody had pugs. They had like three pugs. Mm-hmm. And someone asked, how can you have pugs? And, and he's like, they're much more like people. Oh, you know, right. Something. It's like, they're more like a, I, I don't want to say child. Cause he's not like a child, but he's a family member maybe more than more than other dogs because he's just i don't know he's very human like like he makes noise all the time like all the other dogs i have they they're generally quiet unless they're barking 
in this one, you, we always know where he's at because we can hear his little noises. Yeah. <laughs> Snorts and grumbles. Yeah, and, and it just, it's very endearing. Like, he snores right. when he sleeps, and it's a super snuggly. Sound. Yeah, I mean, like, it's not like, oh you. my God, the dog is snoring. How am I going to get to sleep? It's like it, you use it to help yourself fall asleep because it's soothing. <laughs> anyway, um, I don't think I have any other dogs that ever snored. Back to, let's try to get us off the pug train here. Sorry, you guys. Yeah. But back to, but it's our real life. Who cares? So one of the things that I wanted to say was about what I did previously, in, like my like let's call it, to the relationship not working, and then why I think it's so important. So we moved here. Um, you don't need the whole backstory but I didn't really make friends initially, right? Like it was hard. I'm an adult. I don't have kids, by the way, a lot easier to make kids. If you have friends, I mean, a lot easier to make friends if you have kids. Right. (laughs) Although anyway, so a large part of living here was Steve. I actually did have a girlfriend who already lived here, but it was like our lives were together like on the weekends, like let's go out and do things. And like to some degree that is healthy fully, you know, I think anybody would agree. But the issue was I just didn't really have that many of like my own hobbies, really like my own like hobbies that brought me happiness. Like I worked and Stuart, but anyway, all that to say our lives kind of merged together a little too far to the degree where I lost some of my personality into the relationship. And Steve doesn't operate that way at all. He has, he plays guitar. He writes code. He started playing drums. He, whatever it is, like he has hobbies that genuinely fulfill him and make him happy. And all of that was very hard because, and this is still a question to this day, although we're working through it, I think much better is like, what's the compromise? What's, what's the cutoff? Who gives in? Who wins? What do you go see the concert on Saturday night that you're not really into, but your partner wants to go to, or do you like go whatever it is. So we struggled with that a lot, I think. And we probably still do. Yeah, for sure. I think going back to the control thing, I think we're both more willing or maybe have a better understanding of its importance to just say, I don't care about the next couple hours of my life that bad. Like if you want to go, let's go. It's totally fine. Right. What do you think? I don't know. Well, for me, a lot of times those kind of things cause anxiety. So a lot of my resistance, it's not like, oh, I don't want to spend time with her. It's like, I'm like an introvert person. I'm somebody that likes to be at home. You know, I don't like crowded places. And she's like, oh, let's go out to this crowded place. And I'm like, wow, man, (laughs) you know, I wouldn't do that otherwise. Right, right, right. So I'm, I'm sort of like, you know, she's pushing me. Oh, and some people... Oh, you should, that's a great way to grow. Be pushed to your things. And I don't know. I've grown enough. I'm six, six. (laughs) I think I agree with the growth thing. Just putting it out there personally. I do think that like I'm doing that, like I'm going to meetups. I don't fucking want to go to these meetups. I'm so uncomfortable. I've never been more uncomfortable. You do kind of have to push yourself through your anxiety to go. I mean, I'm a little on the fence about that whole I've stopped growing thing, but well, it's like I'm, just, I'm making a joke, but I sure. It's, um, it's more like I think sometimes the ang- I'm being pushed into things that I don't think are growth. I mean, going to crowded places—it's not something I really 
I didn't used to have a problem with it. And I mm-hmm. think, I feel like I figured out in life that I don't like crowded places, right? Like I don't want to be grown into tolerating them again. Cause I used to be able to, it's more like I figured out in life, like, Oh, I like, you know, sparkling water better than regular water. I didn't know that 20 years ago. Right? Well, right. Like we're constantly evolving and changing and like shedding past versions of ourselves. And so you're saying that yours was tolerant before and is now less tolerant. So would you consider that like growth or regression? I don't know that it's, you know, I figured out things I don't like to do. Oh, got it. Okay. Got it. No, it's not at all. No, I was honestly asking. No, same. Like, cause when think about when you're 20, like I remember a time, okay, this is a real world example where I had never been on a jet ski. I thought it looked like the most fun thing I can imagine, right? Totally. It looks awesome. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I was, some point I was down in Mexico and they had like right on the beach, you just ran a jet ski because, you know, they don't have rules in Mexico. (laughs) No, they do not. So I was like, sweet. Got on the jet ski. 15 minutes in, I was bored. And I was like, all right, well, I guess I rode a jet ski. It turns out I don't think I need to do it again. And I, I literally haven't. And I now know that. So if somebody, she's like, oh, let's go get jet skis. I'm going to be like, well all right, well, I'm not going to have a lot of fun on the jet ski part, but I'll spend time with her, right? Like, Do you think you would have had fun if another person was with you? Another person was with me. Oh, okay. <laughs> she came to the same conclusion. The jet ski was kind of boring. I mean, I don't know. We didn't, neither one of us wanted to jet ski again. So, I was really just going to talk about how my lack of hobbies and some of my like lack of identity, it's really unpacking a lot of childhood stuff, which I'll try to do cliff notes, but... I didn't grow up in an emotionally reinforced home. I sort of sought validation in unhealthy ways, like going into middle school and high school and never self-validated. Like even if I had the confidence to try something new in my 20s, which I didn't, there's no way I would have said, good job. You killed it. You should be proud of yourself. No way. I'd be like, you could have done that better. You completely screwed that up. Like there was no inner dialogue that was saying you're a good person or you deserve that, right? It was the opposite. And that bled into my 30s and into my relationship with Steve and led to a bunch of other stuff, insecurities and whole good times. But I worked it out. I went to therapy. I'm like, shed that entire version of myself that doesn't, I have too much confidence now I feel like I'm worth too much you know I don't know not really but like it it was effective it helped it really did a lot and Steve is the opposite big surprise I sort of feel like it's the extrovert introvert thing you know like in in a sense as an introvert kind of what comes with it is a, a general lack of comfort of talking to people and being social in the world and like we do it but it's kind of exhausting and I'm just mostly like hoping to get that recharge and be alone time. And, you know, so as a, like, I think back to like childhood stuff, you know, and, cause you don't really understand what your issues are. Yeah. Right. You're just kind of whatever. But, you know, I, my, I used to go home as it, once I got to teenager, I, that's when the introvert thing I think really started. And I just wanted to like go in and close my door and be left alone. And, you know, I would learn, do some computer stuff or whatever. I play the guitar, you know, I played it alone. Because I'd want it, you know, and that was fine. And I think that what happens, though, as an introvert is you kind of have to learn to just fundamentally believe in yourself in a lot of ways because you're not interacting. You know, like if I don't believe that I'm 
doing good on guitar. Well, nobody else is telling me because I'm not like up on a stage and right, right, right. whatever. Not yet. I'm still just learning. Right. And so you have to kind of just have this self-belief. And for me as a youth, I was also like a smart kid. And I knew, I think at some point I knew that I was very good in the computer area. And that kind of turned into my 20s into like an arrogance even. So like when I came out of college, I was like, you know, the young, I smarter than everybody and can do this, everybody, you know, pretty arrogant and brash and also not great (laughs) for being social and having friends and keeping friends and making friends. Right. So, but I had all this self-validation and that's something that's changed a lot as I've grown older. Like I'm not arrogant the way I used to be. I'm it's just different now. I don't know. I believe that I'm smart, but I also know there's a lot of other really smart people. And yeah. it's like, who's better, Eddie Van Halen or Jimmy Page? I mean, there's no answer. They're both great. Uh, right? That's we, not true. There is an answer. <laughs> um, <laughs> well, what do you think about yeah. sports? So you played a lot of sports, yeah. little league, sure. football, basketball, mm-hmm. pretty significant basketball there. I did not play sports. Like I played a little bit of sports. Like I ran some track, I ran some cross country. That was very yeah. helpful for me. I did dance, but not like competitive teammates, right. victories, losses, like all the things that kind of go with sports like that. So do you think I'm constantly hearing or like reading like that? That's so helpful. How do you think that structured your like validation mm, abilities? I don't know that this will count towards validation, but it's sort of, brings an emotional toughness or forces you to develop one because if you don't, you'll probably get cut. I see. <laughs> so like, I remember I was, there was something we were doing and the coaches got mad at us and they're like, you know, get on the ground and just start doing push-ups. And I'm just tired. And I'm like, I don't want to do anymore, you know? <laughs> and they're just like, but then I'm like looking at the guys on either side of me doing them. And I'm like, well, if I don't do the push-ups and they do, then that they look better in front of a coach. So I'm just going to have to tough this out, like, and do it, you know? And it was like, I remember those kind of things sort of just kind of inherently toughed you up or you got cut. And so I think it develops you that way sports do. And I feel like that was a positive way. I, I, the real world is kind of challenging, right? Like we've all, that's why we're all like doing these things now. It's like, it's hard. And so it sort of, you've got to get some of that mental toughness or whatever to be able to participate. I think all that helps. And then, yeah, then there's the team part of it. Um, and I played mostly team sports and that brings the social challenges and leadership things and all these things that come with that. And I guess I was a freshman or whatever, but I was the football quarterback and that's like, Oh, you're the leader. You're the quarterback, you know? And I didn't like the role at the time. You know, I just wanted to throw the ball. (laughs) You think it was too much attention? Yeah, it's like it was a lot more attention that I wanted. Yeah, I think yeah. I was could have been pretty decent. I'm sure I would have made varsity and been the varsity quarterback. I'm sure I wouldn't have played college. You know, I don't think I was any good. But sure. it's like there's a lot of dynamics there that came into play. And I that might have been part of like maybe that like challenge of all the things that came with that role. It's like, well, maybe I'll just play basketball instead because, number one, there's only five of us. There's no like designated quarterback who's the big star it's just whatever we go out and play and you know if you're a big star you're a big star because you're just really good and so whatever so I, I don't know it was just a better I think there was a lot of the team dynamic that was helpful to like figure out how to interact with people when you're you know we all want the job we all want right. 
we, we don't want to you don't want to sit on the bench like right. when five people get to play also getting like those like mental health endorsement endorphins too where like a tween going into adolescence who's not might turn to like less healthy yeah, ways to get, get that right like well and i was thinking like the andre agassi thing if you ever saw him he was superstar at the time in tennis and he had the big mane of hair and then he wrote his book later and we found out that he w- was wearing a wig in the later years of his career because his hair had fallen out but he was known for his hair and then he was like doing drugs and he was a wreck but he was at the top he- nobody knew till he wrote his book knew. Get out! Yeah, Andre. I mean, and, huh. you know, and he was a, right. like in a, way, a lot of ways a great story, and it's just that he really struggled, and he just I can't believe to this day that he was wearing. And he said that his biggest concern every match was like he's he was worried he was going to Totally. Fall. Oh my! How could you even concentrate? He's, yeah, he's like playing in the finals of whatever the U.S. Open, and he's worrying about his hair. Wow. <laughs> so I don't know. It's crazy, man. Wild. But yeah, I think that comes with that. That's more because he was so successful. It brings a whole different world of problems Pressure. that you yeah. and I mostly don't deal with. Any closing? Any closing thoughts? I mean, it's going really well. Um, well, failing at divorce. You know, the the one of the things is like we don't ever know what to tell people. I don't know. Oh man, her. that's true. So that's like, well, she's my girlfriend. She we live together. I enjoyed when I said, "Nice to be here." And then I was going to be like, because you know, I do live here. <laughs> right. Nice, nice to be here. But yeah, it's, you know, it's kind of a weird thing because it's like, well, she's my girlfriend, but she's also my ex-wife. And I don't know. That's what I said in the Is intro. she my fiance? Maybe. I don't know. Is that, do I have to ask again? Like, we don't even know anything. You know, it's all very weird. We do know and you do have to. <laughs> do I have to buy another ring? No. All right, so just steal it out of wherever it's hiding one day, and uh, you know. Anyway, do you have any other questions that you'd like to clear up about the future right now? No, no. I have just said partner. I've said partner for like three years, even while we were long distance. If we were not in a off phase. I just said partner to everyone. And I think that that honestly feels the most like all encompassing to me in this season of life because not to go back to sports, but it kind of feels like we are more of a team this time than not like we're not a couple, but it's like in anything, what's for dinner? Can you meet the contractor? Who's going to walk Stuart? Whatever all of these little things are that are Monday day to day, which turns out to be our lives. I think coming from it from like a partner standpoint helps me to realize we have the same objective. It's not me against you to do my way and your way. It's like, we just need a way to do it to complete the task. So let's be partners, work together, and then do the thing. That was also very hard for me to do before because you like control. I like control. Tough times. And I think that's a good point. We all should remind ourselves of these things. It's like, I'm on your team. I want your success. We have arguments and fights, so to speak. and, And it's like, I'm not the enemy <laughs> and I want to make sure that, you know, I don't know. It's, it's weird how sometimes I think in the relationships it gets a little adversarial and or that really comes down to how we've learned to communicate. And this, this should be said, honestly, it just for no other reason than it could maybe help one person out there unsubscribe to brutal honesty. It is not where it's at. Nobody wants brutal life is hard enough. 
start it up as gently as you can, even if it sounds really cheesy. Like it's okay. It will sound cheesy at first. And also the sentence that has changed our lives, although we haven't used it too much lately, but we haven't really had to. We did use it today. The sentence is, so what I'm hearing is, it'll change your life. Try it with everyone. Try it with your parents. Any conflict, anytime you feel a retaliation or a trigger or something is about to come out, make sure what you heard and what that person said are the same thing. 75% of the time, wildly different, at least for us. Before this podcast, can I tell the story? Yeah. I don't know what it's going to be. <laughs> okay. Before this podcast, Steve was in his office, kind of, and I'm about to make lunch and then we'll do the podcast are you doing okay? And he's like, I'm struggling. And I'm like, what's the matter? And he's like, I haven't been able to get any code done today. It's like a daily project that he does. It's mm, helpful for all of his well-being, honestly. It's, it's just work. It's his work. Yeah, it's his work. And so he says this and he's kind of the vibe and this is really paints me in a poor light. I'm regretting starting the story. And so I heard so now I should feel guilty that you're going to have less time because I've asked you to do this podcast. And Steve is like, no, it, it, no, it had to do with Stuart. Like who took my time this morning and I couldn't do my normal thing of getting in like three to four hours of code. Like it has nothing to do with you. Like how did that, how did we get there? Well, yeah, we get there, got there is because I made it about myself, but I didn't hear I'm struggling because I didn't get enough work done today when the appropriate response would have been, I'm really sorry, that sucks. Like, I know Stuart's a lot. End of response. But instead, I not only did I not say that, I said, well, great. So, like, are you trying to say that you don't want to do my podcast then? Because, like, that'll take away even more of your day. And so I just think that's, like, a real far reach. But I'm hearing it out loud and I know that it sounds bad, but I know that it happens. I know that it happens all the time that people hear things and think you must be really trying to say this. And I think it turns out for the most part, people are really just trying to say actually what they're saying. So yeah, so that's active listening for us. Uh, nourish your hobbies, stay in your hobbies. Don't lose them in your relationship. If you came into the relationship and you're an artist, keep drawing, keep making your art, like make a separate spot in the house where you can go just for you and do that. Your partner's not into it. Doesn't matter at all. And I've said this before, but like, just don't take your partner to the grocery store ever. They don't want to go I, or like Home Depot or, or yeah, no man is like, God, I hope instead of football, I get to go walk around the nursery section of Lowe's today. Right. Or I'll go stand in the corner of whatever clothing store she wanted to go in and wait for her to be dead. Previous versions of myself. Previous versions should be noted. It's true. But it did, you know, <laughs> it, it had to get worked out. We it had did. To, you know, because it, it created conflict because you wanted me to be there sometimes totally. and I didn't want to be there. Right, I'm right, like, right. well, we've got a problem. Right. <laughs> Those are kind of opposite things. How do we get through that? <laughs> anyway, I have no more nuggets of wisdom other than Getting back, getting back, yeah, don't get a pug. (laughs) Getting back together, not for everyone. When I first told my therapist about this in 21, one thing that was really important that she said to me, I said something to the effect of, I really want it to work out, but I think I'll be a failure if I move back. 
And my therapist said, who are you competing with? (laughs) That's a good one. And I was like, fuck. That statement always really stuck with me. So, you know, if you think that your needs can be met and you're able to communicate your needs and I don't know, man, like we, because we did not have a climactic trust breaking anger fueled blowout. I think it was hard for us to accept the hastiness of our divorce. And then of course, like we said in the beginning, the pandemic and my dad passing away and stuff like that kind of just made us look at like, how do we want to really spend 12 hours a day every day? And it's not the same way that we used to spend time because it's so limited. All the sources for today will be in the show notes. Um, I'm going to take a hiatus because I can, and it's got failing in the title. So I don't no expectations. I like doing this. I would really like to have a full-time co-host. Do you want to co-host with me? Are we on the same page? Like, do you want to put a podcast out once a week about this ridiculous stuff that doesn't, whatever? DM me, send me an email, jen.freefailing at gmail.com. For now, I'm just going to take a break. I will probably come back in the fall. I would really like to do another season, but as I have said previously, I will be recording all of my content ahead of time because it's very hard to try to go week to week and come up with ideas and also balance a full-time job and a whole grown-up life. So until then, take care of yourselves, take care of each other, and thanks so much for listening. We'll see you next time. Bye.